Welcome to the Insurance Talent Podcast, featuring insights and discussion on key talent and leadership topics in an evolving marketplace. Hello, and welcome to the Insurance Talent Podcast. I'm Greg Jacobson, co-CEO of the Jacobson Group. On today's episode, we're discussing some of the key talent trends our team has identified for 2022. A few of our leaders from across Jacobson will be joining me to share what they are seeing as we enter the new year and areas of consideration for insurers as they continue to develop and evolve their talent strategies. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. I'm here with Judy Busby, who leads our executive search division. Hi, Hi Greg. It's nice to be here. Nice to see you. Uh, Dave Coons, the head of our professional recruiting division. Thanks for having me, Greg. And Beth Reckley, who leads our temporary staffing division. Hi, Greg. We're happy to be here. Uh, nice to see all of you. I thought it would be great to bring in these three leaders and get their unique perspectives on the insurance talent outlook for 2022. Let me just start by uh, you know, addressing probably the biggest issue that's uh, facing the economy overall and uh, the insurance industry. Uh, and that's the great reshuffle, the, you know, the, the significant increase in, in turnover on a macroeconomic basis throughout the country, but, but also we're seeing it in the insurance industry. And I know that there's uh, some people in the industry feel like it's not really affecting them, but statistically it is. So I'm just curious, what are you seeing, uh, Dave? Thanks, Greg. It's nice to be here. I would say what we're seeing is this, um, the pandemic causing the shutdown of most uh, organizations, or at least the, the remote um, workplace location of, of most organizations, resulted in this pent-up desire that individuals have to explore other opportunities that they might have that they normally would have pursued in, in perhaps 2020 and the, the early part of 2021, but they, they kind of put a lot of that on hold. Much of that was as a result of, of some lifestyle changes and choices that they had to make with uh, working from home and taking care of kids and, and remote schooling and things like that that just kind of stood in the way with what might normally have been an opportunity for them to consider other, uh, other employment opportunities. So uh, we're seeing a kind of a reversal of that today. It seems that later in 2021, we started seeing more people now open to the idea of considering opportunities that they might have just put on hold in the past. So um, we, we probably saw that most significantly in the fourth quarter, and we're still seeing it again early in 2022. Yeah, you know, Beth, let me bring you in here because we have seen unprecedented uh, demand in our temporary staffing services. Um, in fact, somewhere in the neighborhood of three, a 300% increase in the number of uh, jobs that are open, uh, were opened in the, the fourth quarter of last year versus any um, quarter prior to the beginning of last year. Uh, are you seeing that is, is a direct result of this great reshuffle? I think it's due to a few things, Greg. I think that um, as Dave mentioned at the beginning of the pandemic, um, a lot of our customers were not, had not figured out how to handle temporary workers um, in a world where everything was shut down. So over time, they figured out how to allow people to work remotely in a temporary capacity. Additionally, they um, 
for a period of time, there were absolutely no orders being opened. And so as, as people became more comfortable, they started opening more orders. Additionally, as the um, number of permanent employees decided to start looking for new jobs, they were relying on contingent work to be able to backfill some of those positions as they searched for a uh, full-time employee. That makes sense. That makes sense. Judy, uh, given the fact that we are seeing uh, higher turnover, what are your thoughts relative to the, some of the things that companies need to be thinking about in order to retain their employees? Yeah, thank you, Greg. It's, it's great to be here, too. Um, you know, some of the things that we're uh, hearing from a lot of our clients are things like, how do I make deeper connections through Zoom and Teams, right? How do I be more intentional about um, having people feel a part of a culture that a lot of companies aren't used to putting time and energy to that outside of the physical location? And so um, what we're, you know, expressing to our clients is, look, culture is what culture can be driven virtually, and it just takes more planning, more time, more effort, but people can feel connected and feel deep uh, relationship with their employer. And so to continue to really focus on that, I think will help uh, employers keep their talent and, and people will feel um, that social uh, connectedness that we all want. Um, you know, so that that's what we're um, hearing and we're sharing insights with our clients. Great. Um, Beth or Dave, any other thoughts on um, things that you're hearing that companies are doing in order to uh, retain their employees, given this uh, competition that's going on? I would say um, one of the things that I've noticed is more employers taking the time on an individual one-on-one -on -one basis with their employees to talk about what's important to them, their career aspirations, their goals, um, the direction that they see their career taking in within the current environment, uh, their overall job satisfaction. Um, they, they're starting to recognize that these collective Zoom meetings that they're having do a great deal of, of good in terms of keeping people connected, but from a, a manager or supervisor standpoint with an individual, they need that deeper connection in order to understand what the individual might be thinking in terms of where they want to see their, their career, uh, career go. So for those reasons, I think there are a lot that are really trying to put a lot of emphasis behind that sort of thing and make it more, as Judy was saying, more intentional about caring about the individual and, and where they see their career headed. One thing I would add too is I've seen more employers in the past year doing mid-year increases for their employees to try to keep them with the organization while they're also having those conversations about career progression and development and identification of high potential individuals in the organization to really, you know, kind of put your arms around those folks. But um, this, is, this has been kind of an abnormal year from a comp standpoint too. I completely agree. In fact, I mean, we're not going to, we won't uh, opine on it too much because there are um, compensation firms that probably have more data than we do. But I will say um, that, uh, you know, anecdotally, we're hearing about a lot of companies that are doing, you know, adjustments, mid-year adjustments. And then, then on top of that, they're offering uh, stronger raises than in the past, especially for the most high-performing employees. You know, it is uh, putting some pressure on companies because, uh, you know, 
obviously inflation is even higher than what um, most companies can afford to, to increase their, their salaries by. But at the same time, in order to remain competitive, companies are having to make uh, significant adjustments. Let's talk about one thing that, that uh, none of you had mentioned, and that's the, the whole concept of, the, the, of uh, work flexibility and maybe even more specifically, um, work from home. I, I, I talk to uh, many CEOs every day and one of the things that I've noticed is that um, the view on work from home is really painted by uh, the bias that that leader has in terms of their own leadership style. And, and, you know, I think that if you have a bias towards more flexibility, you can find all kinds of articles, you can find news media, you can find, you know, anecdotal evidence that kind of supports your quote unquote causality of that uh, flexibility is giving you uh, better opportunities as a business. But if, if you have the other perspective, you can do the same thing. My, my guess is that we are um, in a place that, you know, there's no turning back from uh, flexibility to a certain extent. There will probably be, you know, I don't know what the actual numbers will be, but there'll be a third of companies that um, will end up, you know, bringing employees back five days a week uh, in the, uh, when the pandemic's over, there's probably a third that will uh, be remote. And by the way, if, if you want to understand my bias, we have moved to a completely remote um, situation. And I think it's going great for us. It's actually, I think, reduced our, helped reduce our turnover in a very competitive industry dramatically. Um, and then I think that there will also be a, about a third of uh, companies that probably have some sort of hybrid um, work, uh, work environment. I'm just curious, um, what are your perspectives of what the future holds in terms of this workplace flexibility and how important it is? Craig, I'll go. Uh, so, so I, you know, what I've noticed is people have come to recognize the importance of family and neighborhood support through these last two years. And I think that's weighing in their decision to be more open to relocating. Um, and I don't think that's going to change much. I think those feelings um, those situations and experiences of the childcare issues and the sickness and you know these pandemics coming through, I, I'm not sure people are going to be okay going back to full you know moving to their employer. You know many of them have relocated closer to family, and I think it's going to be a challenge through this year and maybe beyond on what people are going to limit themselves to as it relates to flexibility in their working environment. And so I think we all have to just take notice, be mindful of that and think about what roles we can be flexible on versus the roles that maybe need more convening because of certain you know, business needs. And, and I, think, I don't think that's gonna change this year. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Judy. I think too that this change in flexibility where, where um, and, I, and I think Greg is right that, you know, a third of employers are going to be re fully remote, a third are going to be fully in the office, and a third are going to be some blend. I think that hasn't really shaken out yet fully. And so as that shakes out, I think that's going to lead to a prolonging of the reshuffling of people and talent because people will do what Judy said, like they'll, they'll sort of prioritize their uh, family, their network, their um, 
home life over where they are physically for work in some cases. And I think a lot of that's going to play into the culture of an organization. And um, so I think the ramifications of this probably we won't see for a year or two yet. Yeah, I told totally that Beth, I, you know, we talk to candidates every day, every week, those that are most actively looking tend to cite the reason for that is because they're being asked to return to the office and they just simply do not want to, or at least on a full-time basis. They might be willing to on a hybrid part-time schedule, but those that are really actively looking feel that they can't make that adjustment. And so for many employers, I would say it's probably a little too early to make a a, a final decision on which direction you want to go. I think uh, most didn't see the Omicron variant coming and how widespread it would be. And I think that's causing concern for many individuals, especially that have you know, elderly parents in their household or maybe small children and that sort of thing that they have increasing concerns about the, the transmissibility of this. So for those reasons, I think it's just a little bit early to put a stake in the ground. But I also think that um, what we're seeing is that those who are most actively looking are looking for that reason. So let's move to another important topic here, because recruiting is, is really, really difficult right now. Our labor study is showing that we are in a situation where uh, recruiting is probably at the most difficult levels it's uh, ever been. And um, I, think that, uh, I, I think that we need to talk about you know, how companies can position themselves to recruit employees when they need to, because, you know, we have a, an extremely low un unemployment rate. The unemployment rate over the last, on an average for the last three months is 1.3% in the insurance industry. Um, and so companies are going to have more and more difficult time uh, recruiting employees, which I think is going to have an impact on them achieving their, their business objectives. What are the things that companies need to be thinking about in order to put themselves in a position to win the recruiting battle? I would just say from our perspective, um, one of the things that we're seeing is that companies are needing to move more quickly maybe than they have in the past when they're talking to, to top talent as opposed to waiting for um, additional comparison candidates and that sort of thing. When they find those individuals that they are very excited about, they need to move quickly and capitalize on that enthusiasm that the candidate has as well and, and not take too long. Um, the other thing that we're seeing is that they need to go into the, you know, the whole recruiting arena with eyes wide open. I don't think I have ever seen as much competition for talent, top talent, as I have in the past year, not only from competing employers, but also from the individual's current employer. Uh, we've seen some very, very attractive offers fall victim to uh, one or multiple counter authors. And uh, employers are just not eager and willing to let their, their top talent leave the organization. And so for that reason, I think that they have to be very realistic about what they might be facing, even when they get all the way to what they assume is the finish line. Judy, did you want to add something? Yeah, I mean, so what we're seeing that as well. Um, we're seeing um, companies that had typical interview processes where they would have several, you know, going over multiple weeks. Um, candidates are being lost during that time to other opportunities. And so we're coaching our clients to be prepared for that. We're setting up meetings, you know, slots in advance so that we could progress 
are these um, favored candidates as quickly as possible. And so I think speed, I think Dave's right. I think the speed from the minute they find the person they think they wanna hire to conclusion is really important. And then making sure their offer is really sound so that these counter offers aren't taken because we're seeing them at the executive level as well. And, and I would say from a temporary staffing perspective, when I think about where, where we have been successful in recruiting over the course of the past year, it comes down to flexibility and speed. And flexibility, what I'm talking about is we are working with our customers to consultatively share with them what we're seeing in the marketplace when they open job orders with us. And we're talking to them about um, what our likelihood is of finding skill, skills that are being requested at the wages that are being requested. And so we're having that discussion at the beginning. And so in some cases, customers are having to increase their wages. In other cases, they're having to be a little more flexible on what the background is that they're looking for, for some of these more entry-level positions, trying to get people into the organization that have the right aptitude, they have a willingness to learn, they are a good culture fit, but maybe they don't have the precise skills that they would have been able to get a year ago at the wages they're looking to pay. I agree. In fact, I'll, I'll add this. In regard to the, the dollars, um, I think companies can just assume that their expectations of what they're going to have to pay for either a new employer or a temporary employee is, is more than what they think. Uh, because th there's just an acceleration going on right now in terms of the expectations out there and um, people can get it. Um, I, I also just going back to the discussion we had earlier um, in regard to relocation and work from home. I, I think that there are some insurance companies uh, based on how the, where the industry is set up. The industry typically has some, uh, a lot of companies that are in uh, rural areas and those companies will not be able to attract the experience that they are looking for if they require someone to be um, located in the, the uh, you know, in, in the area. So the a decision is going to have to be made in terms of, you know, our company is going to be more willing to allow people to work remotely, or if that just doesn't fit into the culture, there's going to have to be an adjustment made to the expectations of experience and, you know, finding people that have the skills that can uh, they can they can teach the um, you know the actual uh, technicalities of the insurance industry. All right, the last thing I want to cover, which uh, in, in no way is the least important, um, in fact, it may be uh, one of the most important things, is uh, DEI. You know, the, the industry is making tremendous um, strides in this area, um, but I'm curious as to whether or not anyone is seeing the, the strides, some of the, the progress that we're making get in the way or problems with the progress in this area because of the difficulty in recruiting. Anybody have comments on that? So, so Greg, I'll go. Um, I think at the executive level, um, we are making strides. However, you know, there is um, more that needs to be done in the mid-level. So to prepare um, a diverse candidate pool at the executive level, you know, companies need to be shepherding that along through through the entire career of individuals so that they're prepared and that they have these opportunities to be seated at some of these, you know, really um, high level roles. And so um, we're 
working with clients to bring them a diverse slate, absolutely. And in some cases, in certain parts of our industry, it's very challenging because that mid-level pool isn't as diverse as we would like to see. And so we're doing our best and we're talking to our clients about that so that they can be prepared for the inevitability of whatever that final slate is of the best that the, the market has to offer from the executive level. We're seeing very much the same thing. Um, as you know, we work more in that middle sector of the market and um, insurers have the best of intentions with diversity in their workforce. And they start out with that intention as a, as a main priority when, when they're hiring. Um, we just don't have as much diversity in that center section that um, we have. And so oftentimes that gives away to skills and experience, which are you know, probably equally as important in terms of filling a role that with an individual who can immediately have um, provide value. So we're, we're seeing that as, as a real challenge, and, but not one that we're backing away from. That's great. All right. Beth, Dave, Judy, thank you so much for taking time to, to share your thoughts. I thought this was an excellent discussion and we'll look forward to uh, getting, getting feedback from others who listen to this and we appreciate everybody participating and also you uh, listening to our podcast. Thanks everyone for sharing your insights today. We hope that this was valuable to you, our listeners, as you continue to fine tune your talent strategies for this year. We've also compiled a 2022 Insurance Talent Trends Guide that covers the areas that we talked about today and a few other themes for 2022. A link to download the guide will be available in the podcast show notes. Thanks for listening.